I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, appreciate that. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the rocky August for tech. NASDAQ now down two weeks in a row, first time this year that that has happened. We'll discuss where the trade goes from here. It's getting a little bit of a bounce today. And joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal. Check the markets, told you about the bounce. We are green across the board. NASDAQ, as we said, uh, coming off back-to-back weekly losses. Uh, We are getting a little bit of a bounce. Stocks were on track, Joe, for their fourth negative day in five. And we're going to ask ourselves, is the pullback that we've seen in the NASDAQ enough? Is it done? Well, first of all, welcome back. I'm glad you're back because the market's rallying. While you were gone, the market didn't do nothing but, yeah, but correct. I so NASDAQ it, goes it, down it's, two weeks in a row. Right. It's good to, good to have you back. I think it's getting close, uh, it, in particular for technology. Uh, semiconductors, obviously, with NVIDIA, with the analyst note today, is getting a nice, strong bounce-back recovery. But you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've heard from so many people that, yes, in fact, the rally can continue without the participation of mega caps and technology. Unfortunately, statistically, that's not actually what's unfolded. When you see uh, names like Microsoft down 5% month-to-date, Apple down 7% uh, month-to-date, and you see the semiconductors down just as much. So it's good to have the return once again of Mm -hmm. semiconductors today. I certainly would not be selling uh, expecting a more significant correction. Is there prudence and waiting for what the earnings are going to be for NVIDIA? Yeah, I think so. I think if you have a position, you kind of sit with it. You wait to hear what's going to go on. But we've done a lot of damage. And the last point on all of that is just think of where price was when you left relative to the 200-day moving average. Price was 10.9% above the 200-day moving average. Now you're back. We've worked off 3%. It's only 7.9% above the 200-day. And it's very close to shaking the hand of the 50-day moving average. We'll talk more about NVIDIA in a moment, because I do have some questions about strategy as it relates to that very favored name. But Bespoke talks today about what Joe's talking about, about whether the overall rally needs tech and to what degree it does. Bespoke says wherever the U.S. equity market goes for the second half of August, a lot will likely depend on the direction of mega cap stocks. You yeah. agree with that? I do, because it's such a big component of the S&P 500, right? I mean, tech and comm services is 35% of the S&P 500, so you need that participation. Um, And that's why I think we we have seen the markets kind of like just be a little bit volatile and kind of in a trading range over the last couple of weeks because these stocks have all pulled back. I know, but But you guys guys made the argument, though, that you don't like the other areas of the market are fully capable of picking up. The slack. Jimmy's shaking his head as I'm talking about this. Like I you guys have made the case that you don't necessarily need tech. Now you're telling me you do. Well, no, oh. I've been saying no, no. Let, well, hold on a second. I think you can have some parts of the, the uh, economy. Uh, excuse me, the markets do better, um, and that could help the markets not c- totally collapse. But I do think you need some participation in tech overall. It's just too big, right? That being said, I don't think uh, you know I've been selling tech. Um, and, and I don't think that it, we're done yet. Some of these stocks are still up quite a bit. The big six, seven are up anywhere from 30% to 191%, trading on an average of 34 times forward estimates. Wait, you and just said you don't think we're done yet in terms of selling mm. on the, the, the mega names? Yeah, I, yeah. Wow. because they're, they're still expensive. They're up so much. They're, not, they're definitely not in the value camp. And if you have rates continuing to rise, which we have been, especially after the CPI print last week, which didn't really show a lot of progress, some progress, but not a lot of progress. If rates continue to go up, I think that 
long duration assets are going to struggle a little bit, and that does include tech. So I'm not saying there's, there's a major collapse in the market. I think you're going to be volatile for the next month or two. Seasonally, that makes a lot of sense as well. And then I just look at some of these stocks and what they have done. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the yeah. forward PEs of the stocks as we're filtering through the names here, right? Apple, which had a, you know, a, a plus 30 forward PE yep. is now 28. NVIDIA, for example, which was at 62.5 in May, is now down to 46.5. What are you getting at Apple in terms of total earnings growth and revenue growth? You had iPhones down 2%. Fine, I'll give you services. That was actually really the bright spot at 8%. That's only 25% of their business. Yeah, I know, but... but so 28 times for that kind of growth, Scott, is not attractive to me. And a lot of people are in this name. It's 7% of the S&P 500. And I, I just think people will take some profits. Well, I'm I think thinking that's okay. with, with Apple, though, are we judging it apples to apples, so to speak, because the refresh cycle, the new phone's going to come out in September. That's the quarter that matters more than anything if you're going to watch the iPhone metrics, right? Well, maybe if the stock pulls back another 10%, I might take a look at it at that point, right? But I'm not doing it now because I don't think 28 times is, is really that attractive. The one name that I have been buying, it's not the big seven, is Fortinet. While you were away, the stock got clo clocked sure down did. 25% on that Friday when it reported. Mm -hmm. It is kind of making its way back, but this is a $280 billion total addressable market. They're gaining market share. They're growing revenues at 20%. Margins are expanding. So I can find places within tech, Scott, that I like. Big six, seven, not so much. So, Jimmy, where, where do you come down? I mean, you agreed with the idea as I was making it that the market, like you guys have put forth this, this notion that, well, if you don't really need tech, you're not overweight the space. So uh -huh. you're, you're talking your book for obvious reasons. I mean, it just works with well, the strategy I that you've employed. I mean, I mean yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but with Apple down 8.5% in two weeks and Microsoft down 4 and Meta down five and nvidia down eight and a half we asked the question as to whether that's it it's tempting it's tempting to jump in here believe me all weekend i was thinking about it scott but i haven't jumped in this morning and notwithstanding you know we'll talk about nvidia in a second and why it's up today but um no i i distinctly did not make the decision to dive in today so i'm with steph where it matters here which is to say i think there's a little more to go i do want to be clear that i don't think there's some trap door that's opening up under the technology names i'm not calling for some you know further 10 or 15 percent decline but they are overpriced you're going into a seasonally tricky time in the markets it just is a seasonally tricky price based on what right you just said we sort of okay flow right through that great they're, question they're and overpriced there's, there's a great question let's take on apple because let's take apple because you you brought that up a second ago 28 times forward earnings the uh long-term earnings growth rate fact set uh, you know i looked at this friday maybe it's changed today but i doubt it 9.9 percent that's what the analysts predict long-term earnings per share growth rate on on uh, apple is so uh, 28 times multiple, 9.9. That gives you a, a peg ratio of around 2.8. I'm not, again, I'm not saying there's some trap door opening up under Apple. If I did, I would be selling the shares. But you just but declared I, the stock's overpriced. You and, and, I just, and I just gave you evidence to back that up. Now, somebody may disagree with that because, you know, what's, what's a good peg ratio? To me, I'd love to see it below two. Probably won't get that, Scott, in Apple. And I'm underweight Apple, but, you know, at 180, it's roughly 10% off of its high. Uh, you know, you give me a, another 5%. I think I've got to get activated. And, and Joe brought up something, at least what I think I heard you, Joe, about NVIDIA. Yeah, we got earnings next week. For somebody who doesn't own it, and I'm sure there are people listening right now who doesn't own it, who don't own it, the right thing to do is take a toehold beforehand. Now, I didn't do that this morning, which means to Steph's point, I do think maybe there's a better opportunity this week. But I got to get a toehold in before the earnings start next week. I mean, you can see the fact that, you know, there are there's a 
a cohort of investors somewhere which suggests, well, that pullback that I said, 8.5%, and a PE that's corrected to 46.5 versus the high of 62.5 is enough. And the stock's up 5.5%. I could be wrong. Ahead of the number. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm being clear with you about what I think, but certainly I could be wrong. Um, let me be also clear, Scott. I'm not saying that you're going to get NVIDIA to forward multiple of 25. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, today's move, I mean, there's a reason for it. I know you want to get to it. I'll let you get to it. Uh, but today's move, this, this is still a stock that is uh, up 179% year to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be some profit taking, and most likely in this, in this portion of the calendar, that is tricky. So Second half of August until late September, it's tricky. There's likely to be profit taking. It's the upgrade. Let's just do it now. I mean, we've we've referenced it uh, a couple of times here. It's the upgrade of, of Nvidia today. I think it was Morgan Stanley. I believe it was um, mm-hmm. that that did it. And their commentary uh, is as follows: We think the recent sell-off is a good entry point, as despite supply constraints, we still expect a meaningful beat and raise quarter. And more importantly, and I think this is really interesting, they suggest this that they have strong visibility over the next three to four quarters. So. Put that into well. I, I, first of all, here. first of all, I agree with that, and I think as we continue to move forward, you will get more and more visibility in terms of how generative AI is actually going to be uh, continuing to affect revenue on a consistent basis. How you can look at Nvidia and say to yourself, from a modeling capacity that this is where I think the revenue contribution is going to be because I think the range right now is so overtly wide and there's a, a tremendous amount of uh, lack of clarity surrounding that. I think you have to be careful, though, with this valuation argument because we're sitting here and we're talking about valuations for NVIDIA and we're talking about valuations for a lot of mega cap names. And just as a company can remain undervalued for an extended period of time, you could look at financials, you could see them in single-digit valuation range. The same could be said for these mega caps. So who is it that actually determines the length of time that a company is going to spend either undervalued or overvalued? And for the viewers of the show, I'm not necessarily sure if that's the right investment guide, because we could be talking six to nine months from now about these mega cap companies still being overvalued. Listen, it's a very fair point. And, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Your point is exquisitely well made. I will offer a counterpoint, and I think you'll, you might embrace this, that, you know, yields matter here, right? Mm-hmm. And you know where the 10-year is, and that's the proximate cause for last week's it, decline. It hit a high of the year today at, at 4.2. Yeah, and, and last year, that. and last, okay, true. But, I mean, look, there is a, there's a theory in the market right now, I agree with it, that this year. yield curve uninverts, not by the short end coming down, but the long end going up because of economic activity that's pretty strong. And if the long end continues to go up, it's probably going to put pressure on the multiple. So you're telling me it's going to put pressure on the multiple of companies that don't need to go to the debt market? I, I, I don't think that what I'm saying is controversial. You, you, this is very Joe. I mean, I haven't seen you this worked up. I don't think it's controversial that if the 10-year goes up, this multiple on these tech stocks are going to come down. He's putting on show for me. I, I'm Italian. I talk with my hands. Okay? <laughs> so let, let answer my question, though. I so, did, though. No, I you did. didn't. Mega cap companies. I, you asked if I let think. Let me finish. You Mega cap finish. companies. I Mega it. cap companies. Yes, sir. Okay. Apple. Yes. Steph, I'm sorry. Apple, $97 billion free cash flow. Alphabet, Microsoft, $60 billion worth of cash. What do they care where interest rates are? It's not about raising debt. It's not about the cost of capital. It's about earnings yield versus the 10-year. It's about the equity risk premium. Competition for equities. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it may not be the the single most important factor Mm -hmm. 
to longer duration assets, but interest rates have mattered to as, those stocks. As, as competition for equities, I 100% agree with Jimmy. He got there at the end of his commentary. That I agree with. And what has happened with Treasury yields in the last two weeks as a result of the Fitch downgrade and all the, the new issuance, yes. Unfortunately, for someone who is, is involved in uh, the, the growth of assets and equities and bonds, you now have reintroduced the competition for equities that exists in rising. I mean, we're we're talking, Steph, about (laughs) rates going up because we get the highest rate of the year on the 10-year a little while ago, while Goldman Sachs is talking about rates going down, right? They're talking about the Fed's going to first start cutting rates in in the second quarter of 2024. So we're already looking ahead. And by the way, Jackson Hole is is next week. Now, I, I don't know what the expectations are to come out of that. Last year was, I I think, fair to say in terms of where the expectations were going in. I don't know that it met the moment of that. Remember, Powell spoke for what was like eight minutes and dropped, did a mic drop. and That was it. And then we had to decipher everything on our own. I think it's too early to talk about rate cuts. I really do. I mean, we have no idea what this economy is going to do. We still haven't felt the impact from all the rate hikes that they have done, that the Fed has done. Um, And I think there is uh, we've talked about this at length. There is a lag impact for sure, right? So we don't know. And anybody that kind of tells you that second quarter or third quarter with that kind of precision, I have to discount that. I'm sorry, right? See, I'm looking at a core CPI at 4.7% year over year. I'm looking at rents actually going up in the, in the report month over month, and that was not expected. And that's far cry from 2%. Uh, in terms of what the Fed wants. And a core PCE at 4.4, that's a far cry from the 2% that the Fed wants. You still wants. think so the risk is on the high been... side of them raising rates more than the market expects? No, I mean, it's one or two, maybe more. And even if they don't, I don't think that they're going to pivot. I just don't. It's just way too soon. We haven't seen the situation. Well, the second quarter of 2024 is not tomorrow. I think it's going to be very hard to go from, even if we get to 3% inflation, to 2% inflation, right? You still have wages. You still have the job market that's really, really tight still. I mean, 1.6 jobs opening for one unemployed person, that's still a really high stat and really important. And if you look at Challenger Gray and and look at the layoffs, you look at the non-farm payroll numbers, you look at ADP, you look at anything, and it still shows a very tight job market. And that's going to mean wages stay firm. Maybe they come down, but they're still going to be firm. Average hourly earnings last month were 4.4% year-over-year growth, which is great. But again, that's what the Fed is looking at. They're looking at wages and they're looking at rents, and they're not going in the direction that these people that are saying they're going to pivot. I hear you, but you know what else remains strong under the scenario in which you lay out the consumer? Yes. Right? And you get a big week in terms of earnings, Depot and Walmart and Target, et cetera. Savita Subramanian, by the way, uh, she upgrades the consumer today, discretionary to overweight, uh, increasingly positive on cyclical since April. Here we raise consumer discretionary to overweight from underweight. We downgrade staples to underweight uh, and gives you 10 reasons why. We don't need to go through all 10, but Steph, you do own Home Depot, you do own Target, so you do have a dog in this fight. I do. I have a lot of dogs. I'm overweight the consumer for everything I just said about jobs and wages and even consumer confidence, right? Um, and so I think the consumer has remained resilient, and I think you will see good results. Not great. Um, I think Home Depot with a negative four comp, if they do anything better than that, I think the stock will rally. But I'm not pleased with a negative four comp, but they have very difficult comparisons from year over year. It's an industry leader. It's, it's barely moved year to date, up 4%. Uh, they have very strong execution, 
market share. It's, the, it's, it's blue chip on sale, and that's what you know I do. I do number one or number two in any given industry, and if it gets hit really hard for whatever reason, and I think there could be a recovery, I think that's the case. Operating margins, 14 to 14.3%. I think they could lift that low end at 14%, and that might actually rally the stock too. And if it doesn't, and the stock trades off like it usually does, I will buy more. Target is a different animal. I mean, this is really a work in progress, and, and the options market is pricing at a 7% move one way or the other, so that's a little scary. But the stock is down 26% from its highs. It's down 12.5% year to date, tra trades at 16 times forward. I think we know that they have struggles. I think we know they have theft and they have to deal with it. We know that they have high inventories, but those inventories are coming down. They were down 16% last quarter. I think they're going to be down again. And eventually, I think the operating margin story can correct throughout this year into next as they work down those inventories and they actually get the right assortment and mix into the so stores. So have you taken your own expectations down on where Target can go like Barclays has? Because yeah. today they raised, they, they dropped the price target to 142 from 163. Sure. They I reiterated mean, as equal weight. I mean, they just, they don't love it right here. And even if you're, you're in it, they say, you know, obviously, have a, a bit more muted expectations than you might have had previously. Well, that's the one I have the, the, the lowest, con not, not conviction, but expectations, right? Because of all the things I just said, they have a lot of problems that they have to fix. But I do like this management team. I think they can fix it. And I think not a lot has to go right for the stock to work. Target, I mean, uh, TJX also reports this week, that's kind of the sleeper. By the way, it always trades crappy around the quarter too. But that one, if it does trade down, they're benefiting from all of this excess inventory. They're gaining market share, they have pricing power, and they have better uh, upside to gross margins. I think, by the way, all three of these have upside to margins because freight costs have come down because supply chains are actually getting better. They're not perfect, but I think they can get better. Jimmy, you got Depot too. Yeah, so Home Depot, you know, you look at any period other than the last year, it's been a strong outperformer. I'm not going to lay a claim on this particular quarter. I have no reason to think it's going to be particularly good or bad. But I also, I will state emphatically that I think its long-term track record is going to remain intact. You do see green shoots in the housing markets. Now, where this could fall flat on its face is if you get what you were talking about, Scott, higher interest rates. If the Fed continues to raise interest rates because inflation doesn't abate, mortgage rates at around 7%, Somehow the housing market is finding its footing on this, and you're getting those green shoots, which are taking hold. It's helping Home Depot. But if you keep going higher on mortgage rates, that's where this runs into a problem. Frankly, I do think inflation is going to come down. And the Fed, I don't know if they're going to cut. I have no idea. I have no idea. Let's see what inflation does. Well, they're does. eventually going to cut. <laughs> sure. I, I, but honestly, I have no idea. I mean, I can't even parry with you on this. I have no idea when. Let's see what the next three months of inflation looks like. But as long as they don't keep raising... Home Depot should be in a good spot. Well, new home sales are actually at the best levels that since last March. So it has to be. Nobody wants to sell, right? But they're very, very true. But that's one positive at least. And if you're not leaving your home, you know you're going to refresh your home, right? You're going to actually make home improvements, and so you can make a case that they can continue to do well and gain market share, especially on the pro side. Uh, and again, I go back to supply chain. That was a really big problem and a really big headwind for many of these companies. Yeah, but and unless you help. think that the great home improvement cycle that raged during the pandemic, when people were fixing up their homes and spending money that way, uh, that has now turned. No, I mean, they have tough comparisons. They benefited for sure. But we're still 5 million homes short in this country, and we have 5 million millennials that are just entering into the housing market. They're going to need to do something to these homes. And I think that that's a nice tailwind. Joe, you don't own, you don't own Depot. No, I will. Uh, you I don't own Target either, right? No, you, you own TJX though. So, yep, TJX is near a five-year high. 
looks outstanding. Uh, Target sold out of it a long time ago. Um, on Home Depot, I, I don't own it. I could see that we will own it at some point uh, soon in the near term. It probably has the- Why is that? Because it has the, 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 the strongest entrance of momentum. I know Steph and Jim don't look at that stuff, but just if you're looking at uh, the quantitative nature of it, you haven't seen this type of momentum which is built since May, since probably the early part of 2021. So you will have a lot of quant funds if Home Depot has a strong report and it maintains above this three and a quarter area, I think it'll become attractive. It is up 13.5% over three months, to your point. So yeah. when's your next rebalance? Uh, next rebalance will be at the end of October. Oh, so we got a while to wait because uh, yeah. you just did, obviously, and revealed the, the new. It's definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting. Um, just, you know, real quick on consumer staples. We took the consumer staples exposure down significantly. A lot of that is on what Jimmy's talking about with rising yields. Uh, we were sellers of uh, Dollar General, General Mills. We even sold Pepsi, which I struggled with. Pepsi's a great company. And then consumer discretionary uh, aligning with Stephanie's comments. We took the weighting from 6% mm -hmm. up to 16%. We mm -hmm. added names like Marriott, um, Rostar, Booking Holdings. Um, services. To, yes, yeah. the services side. You wanted to say, Jimmy? Just on Home Depot, I mean, one thing that's actually a positive setup is they had the lousiest quarter I can remember <laughs> yeah, last yeah. quarter. I mean, it, it was like jaw-dropping. And the stock has rallied, as you've pointed out. Now, Scott, that is the market's way of saying we think they kitchen-sinked it last quarter. If they didn't, that could be a short-term problem. But if they have anything that's reasonable in this quarter, I, I think the market says bright skies ahead. I've got a couple of calls related to retail that I want to get to before we take a break. Costco reiterated his buy steeple price target 575. You own Costco. I do. Own Costco. On that. Own Costco for quite some time. Um, look, it's a consumer staple. Uh, the momentum is incredibly strong. I think the balance sheet is incredibly strong. It's a little bit similar to TJX mm. in, in the type of customer that's visiting Costco relative to another, uh, some of the other big box retailers. So um, I, I, the comp's a little bit difficult as we approach the upcoming quarter, but it's a name that I could see us maintaining. Ulta Beauty, uh, UBS reiterates the buy, 640 bucks is the price target. Yeah, that's That's your, a big, big upside. Yeah, that's- That's more than 40% upside yeah. from here. You own that too. Uh, that's, that's a reach. That's a reach. To me, this stock in April and May appeared to place an inflection point, if you would. The stock has fallen back from there. I think they really have to prove themselves in future earnings uh, that they could recover from what I view as a significant inflection point. Not enough for just Instagram to be benefiting Alta. All right, uh, let's take that break. Uh, straight ahead, our chart of the day. Shares of U.S. Steel surging today after rejecting a takeover offer from rival Cleveland Cliffs, which means Farmer Jim needs to weigh in on this because he owns Cleveland Cliffs. Not that you need me to tell you that. Why he thinks this deal will get done. Get his take after the break. Chart of the day, it's U.S. Steel. We mentioned shares are surging today. The company rejecting a $7.3 billion takeover offer from Cleveland Cliffs. U.S. Steel says it's currently reviewing several other offers. There is U.S. Steel. Throw up Cliffs uh, because Cliffs is up too, uh, near 9%. Jimmy, obviously coming to you. Uh, I know you spoke to Lorenzo Goncalves. Goncalves. CEO. Lorenzo Goncalves. Goncalves. Pardon me. Wow. He'll come at wow. you, man. No. Wow. I mean, <laughs> welcome back. You. I Seriously. <laughs> He'll come Jimmy's at you. He's going full correcting yeah. on air. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, Jimmy flexing his muscles a little bit while I was gone? A little bit. A little bit. 
He tried to sit in your seat, but we wouldn't let him. <laughs> Thank you. Weiss and he were probably fighting for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, this is, a, this is potentially an amazing deal for the country. I mean, just start there. This would be the, put the company in the top 10 global producers of steel. Obviously, everybody looks at this and they go, well, what are the regulators going to say? There's going to be tightness in the market, particularly for automotive. But the question is, you know, how do you look at this geographically from a regulatory point of view? Because steel comes in from everywhere. And, you know, this administration, we know they're pro-union and they're pro-green, right? And, and American steel production is the greenest production that you have. You don't want Chinese steel coming in, getting dumped from sooty blast furnaces when you can get relatively clean steel from electric arc furnaces uh, that U.S. Steel and Cleveland Cliffs have. But the biggest thing, and sort of the, the ace up the sleeve here, is the letter that uh, the company has from the USW, the United uh, Union of Steel Workers at U.S. Steel, supporting this deal and saying they won't support anyone else. So that's a, that's a necessary factor because the union at U.S. Steel can step in the way and, and preempt any deal that's on the table. They have said in a letter, it's in print, hey, we're behind this and we're behind nobody else. So if you're looking at it from a regulatory point of view, you got one of the most important unions in the nation saying, we want this. Uh, you've got a green outcome here and you've got a national champion. As far as you know, pricing concerns and antitrust in the automotive market, I mean, let's bear in mind that it's not just steel, aluminum, other composites, plastics go into, go into auto as well. And again, that geographical, you got to look at this globally because it's a global market, uh, not just a national market. So I do think it will get done. It's not a layup. Well, I mean, the CEO this, this thinks it's going to get done, right? He said it was on, on him. he was on CNBC uh, at 11 and said the deal's going to close. We're going to buy. Yeah. We're going to be able to finish the deal. They're going to have the support of the government. Let me ask you this. Oftentimes in M&A scenarios, you see a proposed acquirer, the stocks sell down. Mm -hmm. Right. The target go way up. Why is Cleveland Cliffs going up to the degree it is today on this proposed deal? It's a good question. It's a nice surprise. I think the market sees what Lorenzo is saying, which is that this deal is likely to get done. Nothing's a layup, but I think he's got strong support in the administration. They know what he's done putting together Cleveland Cliffs from the original Cleveland Cliffs, plus ArcelorMittal, uh, plus AK Steel. He knows what he's capable of building for the country mm -hmm. and for the employees. I think this administration is going to get behind this, so I think that's why the market is behind it as well. Next question. Why hasn't the market been behind cliffs for the last period of months? The yeah. stock's been a, a disappointment, I think is a, a fair word at minimum. Yeah, um, it's been frustrating. It's been very frustrating. Um, I am a long-term shareholder and just the numbers are, I've held this for about five years. It's up 10.6% per annum in that time frame. The S&P is up 11.3%. I know, but what's, what's but been the, the issue? This year, what's been I, the issue? To me, the issue has mainly been fears of a recession. Now, I thought that had gone away over the last two months and especially after the last earnings report, Scott. I'm pretty surprised that it's traded off over the last month, uh, actually two weeks since the last earnings report. I think it's just continuing concerns of a recession. Don't you think it's their auto exposure? I mean, look at the auto stocks. And why would you worry about the auto exposure? Just because that now it's easier to get the it is easier to get autos. I know the demand has been there. I know auto sales I have been strong. going to say recession, but no. no I think no, Steph's point is no, no, that no, look I, at the auto stocks, even like GM. They haven't Ford. done anything. Right? So this They've is been great disappointments. Point. This, but for ten years, right? But, 
Okay, but hang on. When you so the share price, in my opinion, is eventually going to follow what's going on fundamentally. When you look at the auto stocks, and people are saying, well, auto sales are going to fall off anytime soon. That's actually not what matters here. What matters is that dealer inventories are still 50% of where they need to be, and the average age of cars on the road is still way too high. We need new cars, which means, regardless of what sales do, these auto manufacturers are going to be producing autos for the foreseeable know, future. Then why isn't that reflected in the stocks? I can't answer your question, and I wish I could. I really think it's autos. I really do. I think that's the now. Look, I think that this deal is really interesting. I don't own it anymore. I made forty percent in two months, and I took my profits. But I think this combination, if it doesn't have regulatory uh, problems, this is going to be a, a powerhouse, a behemoth in the industry. Let me uh, say one other. I'm sorry. Forty percent hot rolled steel market share. Fifty percent autos mm-hmm. exposure. If you want auto exposure, but. It's more, it's more than that. It's the synergies that we know that this CEO and team can actually create. So I'll have to see where, where it all shakes out, sure. but I think it's down because of autos. And how do you, but how do you get past from the regulatory standpoint that this becomes the primary auto supplier in the United States? How, in the how United, they, because I, I thought I answered this, but let me say it again, because it's not just the United States that supplies steel. Uh, to, to the U.S. automotive industry. There is, there's other companies. I mean, the biggest steel producers in the world are Chinese, uh, Korean, Japanese. That, but the overwhelming it's, it's majority market. comes from U.S. auto suppliers, correct? Yes, but steel is fungible. You can get it from anywhere, Joe. You can. I will say, and Stephanie pointed on this, this needs to be uh, pointed out. You know, the synergies that they're looking at for this combination are 500 million of cost uh, reductions a year. This is a company that has a track record of under-promising and over-delivering in that regard. They would be buying U.S. Steel at 50% of book value. You know, that's why I think there's synergies. They're pretty big synergies to be had if they get this. So. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. Six former Mississippi law officers pleaded guilty to all state charges for torturing and abusing two black men earlier this year. Court records show each individual reached a plea agreement that includes prison time ranging from five to 30 years. The men include five former Rankin County Sheriff's deputies and a police officer. All six recently admitted their guilt in a connected federal civil rights case. Maui officials and scientists are warning residents of toxic particles even after the flames are over. Hawaii state toxicologist said it could take weeks or months to clean up the pollutants. These health hazards could have lasting effects on air and drinking water, potentially impacting recovery and the island's tourism-driven economy. And the long-anticipated billionaire brawl appears to be off as Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg dismisses Elon Musk for allegedly delaying the showdown. Zuckerberg posted on threads that Musk will not confirm a date and says he needs surgery before a fight. The tech titan says it's time to move on. Musk has not responded to the social media Blast. To be fair, Scott, you know, even when you have great insurance, it can be hard to get in to see a specialist. So that could be why it's taking so long for Elon Musk. We'll see a response, I'm sure, at some point. I think one can bet on that. Bertha, <laughs> thank you. Bertha Coom, straight ahead. Big money, big tech. Hedge funds disclosing their latest positions in the tech trade. We're following that money with Leslie Picker, and we're doing it next. We are back on the Halftime Report. Greenlight Capital, David Einhorn's firm, uh, out with a new investor letter. Our Leslie Picker following the money. She has it. 
Uh, and going to give us the details now. Yeah, so what, bear with me, Scott, because I got this right in the commercial break. All so right. still reading through it, but just kind of some highlights I see after skimming here. Uh, Greenlight saying that late in the quarter, they added substantial portfolio protection through index hedges. They say that if they were bearish until March and neutral through June, uh, would now characterize ourselves as worried. And they say that when the authorities bailed out bank depositors in March, they thought the implications were bullish for stocks and inflation and adjust the portfolio accordingly. But that bullishness played out immediately as the S&P consistently moved up and to the right subsequent to that event. Uh, and uh, Greenlight goes on to say that the inflation bullishness has not yet materialized and recent readings have shown noted deceleration and the tailwind from higher rents is likely to dissipate, causing core inflation to fall further. Mm -hmm. um, and they believe that's stickier and more entrenched than the market is currently appraising. So kind of a contrarian uh, view here. Notably, um, go on to talk about performance and say that those index hedges returned about 8.7 percent. Uh, or I'm sorry, that was the, the material losers during the quarter, uh, the S&P 500 index hedge, which returned 8.7 percent, um, an individual short with bubble-like characteristics that they didn't cover. They don't go on to disclose what that is. Um, but kind of interesting perspective from David Einhorn today. Of course, their overall returns um, for the second quarter was 14.5 percent net of fees and expenses. And that's compared to, that's about double uh, what you saw with the S&P during that same time period. Don't so, forget, too, I mean, they're coming off uh, a 2022, mm -hmm. which was, I think, their best year ever. Right. They're like 36-plus percent net of fees, largely because sort of fitting to his playbook in the last few years, they haven't been big holders of tech stocks. Yep. Right? So in 22, when tech had a big correction, Greenlight, they were big winners. Yep. Now I'm just curious as to what we're learning just because of the big bounce back in tech. Yeah. Traditionally, they haven't been big players. What that's meant to the overall picture. Do we know uh, of anything that he's added of, of late in, through this letter? Yeah, I know you haven't had that, much time well, to look at it, so I apologize for throwing positions. that to you. But. No, of course. Um, in terms of the, the material winners, they describe those interest rate derivatives um, where they challenged the market view that the Fed would cut interest rates this year, continues to believe the market is over-anticipating those cuts, um, and they've extended that view through March of 2024. Um, also, winners was Console Energy and Tenet Healthcare. Mm. Um, but to your point, you know, not only has he avoided tech stocks in recent years, he's been shorting them. The, the bubble basket. The bubble basket, right, it. that he's talked about a lot um, over the last you know, handful of years, I mm -hmm. guess. And it sounds like he still has some kind of individual short with bubble-like characteristics, but didn't disclose that, probably at, at fear of, you know, getting kind of the, the Reddit uh, crew after him. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he, he uh, reveals shorts anymore anyway. Nope. nope. Um, what Very else few people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, you have other stuff that so you're learning from these Fs? We, Fs? we do. We've got uh, 13 Fs coming out. Uh, after the close today is the deadline. Um, you know, we've seen a few so far today, um, and one of them is Co2, uh, which disclosed some uh, interesting. Philippe Lafont. Philippe Lafont disclosed some interesting trades there. Um, within big tech, Seth Klarman uh, his bow post revealed a new position in Amazon worth about $125 million, but decreased a stake in Alphabet. D1 also trimmed its stake in Alphabet, um, along with Meta and Microsoft, while dissolving a position in Amazon. Soros uh, dissolved some big tech names as well, Netflix, Salesforce, and Spotify, just to name a few. But the firm took a new stake in Microsoft. So we're seeing some some discretionary moves with regard to big tech, mm -hmm. uh, some thematic moves with EVs, Chinese tech. 
um, as well as chip makers as well. So obviously still early. The deadline's after the close. That's when we get the bulk of the filings. But, um, you know, starting to see some early filers. You got a thought? I mean, I, I hear the Amazon. Was it Outpost that you said? Was yeah. It Farman? Yeah. So I hear that. It's the one you don't own. It's the one right? name. The only one. It's the one name that we don't own. It's the, it's the loan holdout. Uh, it needs to build a little bit more further momentum, in, and we need to see a little bit of a, a, bevenu, a better uh, increase in revenue growth. Um, but I'll tell you, overall, just listening to what you said, there's this remarkable dynamic that's building where the hedge fund and speculative community is actively going up against the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. and all these governmental balance sheets. And they're taking the opposite side. They're short the Treasury market. They're very aggressive and active in communicating that. Mm -hmm. And they're also going up against the asset management industry. The asset management industry is telling clients, extend duration, go long duration right here. So there's this battle that I think has to be resolved in one way or the other. It might be parabolic in its nature by the end of the year, but it's clear. Hedge funds and speculators, they are short. They're on the other side. Yeah. And don't fight the Fed has always been the, the well, adage. They're, so they're, fighting. they're fighting and they're, and they're winning. Fighting. They're winning. Hmm. All right. Good stuff. Les, thanks. Thank you. All right. Leslie Picker. All right. Uh, coming up, the big milestone for single stock ETFs. We're breaking it down in today's ETF Edge. We'll do it next. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of the Halftime Report. I'm Courtney Reagan filling in today for Bob Bassani, celebrating single stock ETFs one year later. It's been one year now since Granite Shares launched its lineups of bull bear ETFs for names like Tesla and Apple in the U.S. And there's been no shortage of activity in those names, plus NVIDIA, which has ridden the wave of AI enthusiasm in recent months. But other single stock plays haven't seen nearly as much action. Why is that? Let's ask Ryan, founder and CEO of Granite Shares, and Dave Nodig. He is the financial futurist at Vetify. Well, your first single stock ETFs arose in the U.S. in August of last year, including your long Tesla ETF, followed later by that long NVIDIA ETF we mentioned. So give us an update. How have they been received by investors? And why have some maybe not fared as well as these heavy-hitting tech names? Well, Courtney, I think that, um, you know, in terms of the overall platform, we have seen a lot of interest in these particular names. But I think two thoughts really spring to mind. Number one, that there's been a lot of money that has gone into fixed income ETFs. A lot of money went into money market funds. And so there is a money, money sitting on the sidelines that hasn't been deployed fully into the market, which is affecting you know, equity ETFs just more broadly. And single stocks are, are in that pack. And secondly, in terms of the products, they're going to be linked to enthusiasm around the stock itself. So if there's a lot of enthusiasm for NVIDIA, then NVDL, you know, we see a lot of interest in that particular stock. If there's enthusiasm for crypto, there's going to be big interest in our Coinbase um, single stock ETF. And likewise for China Tech, you know, for Alibaba, for example. So it, it's very much like the actual market itself that you know, the demand for these products is going to be intrinsically linked to enthusiasm for the stock itself. That makes a lot of sense. Dave, what's the benefit then of going long or short a stock using an ETF? Well, I, th I like to think of these as a kind of convenience arbitrage. I mean, obviously, there are other ways to express either a super bullish or negative opinion about Tesla. But when you do it in a single stock ETF wrapper, you avoid having to, say, go get margin borrowing to get extra exposure for cash you may not have. Or you avoid having to go find a locate for a short, which usually isn't that big a problem. But you do have to have an account that's available for shorting. So for a lot of investors who are perhaps really just playing a little speculation around the edges, 
these products really do offer a level of convenience. And I would also say they can do it with less sort of hang up around position sizing. Obviously, if you go buy a set of options, you're committing to larger and larger portions of your uh, of your allocation. Here you can be quite fine tuned. And I think also importantly, these are trading vehicles. You would not expect hundreds of billions of dollars of assets to flow in. These magnificent seven, if you will, those top stocks that people really want to trade, that's where these are going to always make the, more, the most sense. Well, Ryan, Dave Nodic, thank you very much. We'll have plenty more on single stock ETFs, plus gold, Bitcoin, and the big inflation picture. That's all ahead at 1.10 p.m. Eastern, only on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, I'm going to send it back over to you. All right, I appreciate that, Courtney. Thank you very much. Up next, Mike Santoli. He is here with his midday word. We'll see you in two minutes. Read my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us hashtag grade my trade. All right, we're back. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentators. Good to good to see you again. You too. Yeah. So Welcome back. Tech, right? Down the last couple of weeks. You know that it's not going to take much for buyers to come in. Yeah. And especially in a name like NVIDIA today, they appear to be. Right. So what we have coming into the week is mega cap tech looking oversold on the charts, looking like it was worth a shot. You got an upgrade. It's responding to that, and it's helping the overall market stay pretty well behaved. Uh, probably a little too soon to say that we can call off the, the breakdowns in the charts and say that semis don't have a double top and all those other things that were said on the way down. Uh, I still do think, though, it's kind of rotation remains the rule. Um, I, you know, is a 3% drop in the S&P going to be enough? Uh, I don't know. I think you'd be very lucky to say that that would be the, the, the peak to trough uh, for this pullback. But for a month, you've kind of had sentiment and positioning come off the boil. As I say, the rotation has helped. Uh, and we'll see if, uh, if that's enough. We certainly are on alert on the yield side, on the crude oil mm, side, yeah. the commodity side, the dollar, all that stuff. Upper end of the range is not really broken, though. It's not really gotten to that worrisome level. I was literally looking at the 10-year, as you mentioned, the the rates. We go to 4.2 earlier today. It's the highest of the year. That is going to be closely watched as anything else is going to be as it relates to tech. And you you know the reasons why. Because the script has changed toward do we have to be alert more for reacceleration of the economy than anything else. A reflation in a way, as people are pointing out. Um, And, yeah, so right now, as they say, the upper bound from the the, uh, fall highs and the yields have been kind of respected for the moment. But that's, that's where the sensitivity is. It was last week as well uh, when we really weren't able to capture any real tailwind from the, the decent CPI report. We're trading right now in the S&P where we were the day before the last July CPI report. So J- July 12th. We'll be talking a lot, speaking of CPI and inflation, about Jackson Hole, yep. uh, which is coming up. And as I said, the moment didn't necessarily meet the expectations last time. Yeah. Right. It was the eight minute speech. Sure. I wonder where the market expectations didn't are meet this the time expectations, around. but it, it was effective <laughs> because yeah, right. that was, it was an effective. That was minutes. the peak uh, right. for the second right. half of the year. Yeah. So in, all right, we'll the stock market. I mean. I'll see you on closing bell. All right. All right. This is Mike Santoli. Final trades after this break. Closing bell, three o'clock. Hope you'll join me then. Alicia Levine will be with me along with the American Century CEO Jonathan Thomas is going to be here at the New York Stock Exchange. And Sebastian Page, T. Rowe Price, he's been a reluctant bear, self-described as such. We'll see what he is today. Hope you'll join me then. Let's do final trades. 
Farmer, Jim. I'm going to keep it simple you here. Are up first. Going to keep it simple here, Scotty. Exxon Mobil. Um, Energy's had a bid to it the last month, month and a half. A little pause today as crude oil comes down. I think it's a great opportunity to get into Exxon Mobil. Twelve times earnings, three point three percent dividend yield. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cleveland Cliff. <laughs> felt like felt like I <laughs> almost ten percent. Felt like I right expended now? a lot of uh, time on Cleveland. You did. Cliffs. You did. Great advocate for it. That's for sure. <laughs> Self-awareness is important. You did. Appreciate that. Stephanie Link. So McDonald's, I don't own it yet, but I'm waiting for any kind of pullback to buy it. This, they had a great quarter. They beat by 39 cents. Their U.S. same-store sales grew 10.3 percent. International grew 11.9 percent. International developed up 14 percent. 90 percent of China's business is digital now, which is sort of interesting. And they have been doing a lot of technology innovation uh, in the drive-throughs um, and all kinds of things. So this is one on my radar screen. Been kind of disappointing, right? Yeah. Stock it hasn't done all that much. It's expensive. It's 25 times. That's the problem. So I just wanted to pull back, have a bad couple of days, and it's really a it's a sleeper, I think, over the next three to five years, based on their technology innovation. All right, uh, MCD. We'll keep watching that. And Joti from the financial sector, Visa. You could also own Mastercard, but both of these names performing incredibly well. New management at Visa. Look how they expanded to the services business. That's going to grow revenue significantly. PayPal, by the way, we didn't even talk about that. Finally, new CEO. New CEO. A lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, good stuff. Good being back with all of you. Welcome back. And, Welcome of course, back. you as well. And I'll see you on Closing Bell, 3 o'clock. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.